You know, it's an interesting thing because I literally can never read this passage of scripture that I'm about to read to you um, without the remembrance of every year being the thing that we read right before we opened presents. Um, my parents had a big old family Bible. It felt like it was about two phone books thick, right? I don't know if any of you guys totally can identify, but if you can, you know what I'm talking about. I had, um, just kind of begun that tradition with my family. And it's one that I've continued all throughout the years. And Luke chapter two is by far my favorite passage. Occasionally we'll switch it up, but Luke chapter two is so familiar to my sisters and myself that we have almost got it memorized, uh, where we can kind of read through it and say it together. Um, this whole section, about 20 verses, not saying that to brag, but just clarifying when you get to be my age, you've heard it a few times, right? And so, So this is something that I can't help but talk about and think about as just the core of the Christmas season. And so as I share with you today, I hope you will see it as that. This is the opportunity that mankind had to come and to celebrate and to be a part of the Christ child coming into the world. So let's begin in Luke chapter 2 verse 8. It says, now there were in that very same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid, or they were terrified. But then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with that angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them back into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things that they had seen and heard just as it was told to them. You know, it's an interesting thing that every single year I preach the same passages of Scripture at least once. That is, around the time of Christmas time, I begin to preach through what is known as the Christmas story. It's partly found in Matthew, and part of it is found in Luke. And these two uh, chapters in each one of those Gospels, that go through the genealogy and the story, and then the, the, the uh, prophecy uh, of John the Baptist being fulfilled and becoming the forerunner of Christ... All of these things, they are an opportunity for me to go back over very familiar ground. Now, that may sound good to you, may sound bad to you. I don't know. But I will tell you it's a challenge for me. The challenge for me is is that I have to come up with something that kind of is new and a little bit fresh on things that I've learned since I was this tall or even younger, or you have probably heard or read a number of different times every single Christmas season that you've been alive and been a Christian. 
And so it is always a challenge for me. But this year is very interesting. And it seems like it happens almost every year that there is something that jumps out of the Christmas story to me that did not from the year before. This year, this message title uh, and, and this message series that I'm preaching is just simply called Joy to the World When God Gives Us What We Need the Most. And I believe with all of my heart that this is a very, very um, meaningful thing in 2020 if we allow it to be. Because over and over and over again, as I was reading the Christmas story in preparation for these messages, I realized that three different times someone was said to be afraid or greatly disturbed, and then they still were promised joy in the midst of it all. Now, in the first week, the first week after Thanksgiving, I talked about the joy in Zechariah, and it is up here on the screen. I, I shared each one of these is a slide, and here's the first one. When Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and was gripped with what? Fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son. You're going to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. In other words, right now you feel afraid, but I'm here to promise you that the things that are going on in your life will ultimately provide for you joy. Can you see how this fits from 2020? Can you see how we are reordering our lives in ways that we never thought we would have to or never thought that we needed to do? But the truth is, is that our lives are being reordered whether we wanted them to or not. This happened to Zechariah, but it also happened to the wise men like I shared with you last week. In Matthew chapter 2, the passage of scripture that's going to be up here on the screen in just a moment, Matthew chapter 2 talks about the joy in the wise men. It says, King Herod heard that Christ had been born and he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. And so when this happens, again, we see fear discomfort, concern, and worry. But after they heard the king, they went on their way. They found the child. And then what does it say? They rejoiced with exceeding great joy is the word that is from the King James Version. And so we see that there was true joy found in finding Christ's child. And today, as you just listened, I don't know if it jumped out to you when I spoke about it and when you knew that I was going to be getting here, but this is what we saw just a moment ago from Luke chapter 2. An angel of the Lord stood before the shepherds, glory shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. But then the angel said, don't be afraid because I am bringing you good news of great joy for everyone in the world. This is the source of joy. Now, I got to tell you, I was told by my son-in-law about this book, and I wish I had known about it two or three weeks ago uh, when we first got started with this, but there is a free book out there. It's an e-book that you can get delivered to you today. It is daily readings, and even if you chose to say morning and night or whatever it is, you could probably make up all of these different e-book readings from the man named John Piper. It's called The Dawn of Indestructible Joy. Now, he, he sounds cooler than I do. I just said joy to the world, hoping that it would stick in your head because there's a song. Um, he said, it's the dawn of indestructible joy, which sounds kind of cool, kind of metal, um, kind of boss in all these areas that I'm just not able to pull off. 
but this is what's going on, right? It's a free ebook that you can go and get if you so choose to do. But let's talk for just a minute about why the, the shepherds might have been disturbed or why they were worried. Let's talk about that for just a second. I listed it last week. I'm going to list it again. Why were these men greatly afraid? In the case of the shepherds, I think they felt fear because of the sheer brightness. Now, I know that sounds silly, but hang with me for a minute. Now, I know that in our modern world, we don't think of really candlelight as anything except for romance and when the lights go out, right? When the electricity's out or when you're looking for romance. I mean, I know every time I come home, you know, Shelly's got candles broken out. She's like, sweetie, I can't wait to have candlelight dinner with you, you hunk of man. And I get that. I understand it, right? Uh, isn't that what's going on at your place too, right? Okay, all right, just making sure. No, you seriously think about this. That is a joke. Everybody knows it's a joke. I know it's a joke. All right, it's a joke. Um, the sheer brightness back in those days, the brightest that you would see outside of the sun. Once the sun went down, you'd have a fire or a torch or a candle. And that was about as bright as it got. Now, think about what we have in today's modern world. We have lights that literally will light up 30, 40, 50-story buildings on the entire face. It is just amazing. We can see things that we light into space and can be seen by those who are up at the space station. Like, we do not experience darkness the way that they did. But for just a moment, if you have never seen anything brighter after dark than a, a torch or a campfire, can you imagine the heavenly glory that the Bible tells us came around these men as the angels came into their presence and suddenly the darkness, which never got dispelled, was suddenly dispelled in an amazing and powerful way. They were greatly afraid. They were seeing something that they had never seen or experienced nor never would again. And they were greatly afraid at it. Now, does this hit where we are here today? They're seeing something that they had never experienced their entire life and might not ever experience ever again. I mean, think about our world in 2020. How many times have you used the word unprecedented? <laughs> How many times have you used the word bizarre to describe this year? The things that you've had to go through, I've never seen anything like it. I probably never will see anything like it again. Why? Because it's so brand new and unique. And the interesting thing is, is that anytime we as individuals who are human, especially if we're people that don't like change, we have the opportunity to experience something brand new. But most of the time, the first emotion that that, you know, kind of works up in us is not excitement, but instead it is fear. We are greatly afraid. We do not know what is going to happen. And so we become greatly afraid. And you look at this it's possible that these men were just simply overwhelmed at the majesty of looking at the entire multitude of the heavenly hosts that God says joined those single angel. Or maybe they were afraid because they thought that maybe God had made a mistake. See, if you don't know much about shepherds, they're not exactly at the top of the social ladder. They're the ones who, in some ways, have been disenfranchised from God. They're the ones who are kind of on the fringes and people leave them there. It's a very interesting thing, actually, but here is something to learn. While we often think of shepherds in a way that's kind of touched by nostalgia, 
It was actually very hard, difficult, and lonely work that often made the people that were a part of that occupation ceremonially unclean. Now, if you don't know what ceremonially unclean is, let me just read you a quick little section from the unclean shepherds that was discussed here in this blog post by this gentleman named Bill Sitzma. He says this very quickly. In ancient Israel... Shepherds were generally considered unclean in the community of God's people because of the work that they did. They were daily in contact with dirty, smelly sheep. Their manure, the blood from cuts and scrapes that they received when they were trying to take care and tend the sheep, the insects that buzzed around them, all of these things and more meant that shepherds were almost never clean enough to worship with God's people in God's presence. Now, I want to just make sure that you understand this. God spoke to the shepherds, but they probably thought, at least in a part of their mind, why us? I mean, why is this being told to us? And I have a feeling that even later, they probably figured out that they hadn't been telling everybody. They were one of the only ones that got this angelic announcement, as best we know from the Bible. And I'm sure that when that happened, they had to be asking themselves, why in the world would God speak to us? I mean, the, the rabbis and the people in the temple won't even let us come in until we've spent this quarantine period. I mean, honestly, that's what it was. It was a quarantine period before we knew what a quarantine period was. I, I don't know if they wore masks, you know, N95s or what exactly. I don't know. But I know that they were quarantining to become ceremonially clean before they could even approach God. But here is what is absolutely beautiful about this part of the story. That even when we think we are separated from God, that God does everything that he can to remove every single obstacle so that he can come into our world and say, I see you as you are, and you are not unclean in my sight. You are my child, and you have a place at my table. Can I get an amen here in the house this morning? Amen. Isn't it good to know that even if the world wants to write you off as somebody who's unclean and unworthy, that God has a place for you at his table, and he brings everything out of the way so that you and he can be reunited. I want you guys to check out this movie very quickly. It's a mini movie that I think you will be blessed by. The resolution quality is not quite the way that we normally like, but I would say that it is uh, worth it because the, 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 the message of it is just so powerful. It's called, He Came to Get Messy. Let's check it out. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. God had this messy plan, a plan to save the world. And to do that, he was going to send his son. Where does the God of the universe send his son? Where, where, where does the King of Kings and Lord of Lords come? To a barn, a stable, a, a manger of all places. Certainly no place fit for a king. But then again, this wasn't any ordinary king. When I say it was messy, I mean messy. It, it was a barn, a stable, right? So you've got animals and animal stuff 
manure, mud, a pitiful place for people, much less a place for the King of Kings to be born? Why would God do that? Well, I can't tell you for sure, because Isaiah explains to us that his thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. But that same prophet, 400 years before Jesus was born, said, all we like sheep have gone astray, each of us to our own way, and that he has laid our iniquities on him. You see, Jesus came to a messy place. Oh, yeah, a barn, a manger, that's messy. But he came to a messy world. Why? Because the shepherd was coming to take care of the sheep, to prepare a way for them to go home. That's what a shepherd does. He lives where the sheep are. He sleeps where they sleep. He eats where they eat. It got Jesus in trouble. Why did Jesus eat with sinners? Because that's what the shepherd does. An angel appeared to the shepherds in the field and said, this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger, a sign. You ever wondered what that sign was? A sign for what? Maybe a sign that Jesus is accessible to everyone. A sign that the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills can relate to a homeless person. Because Jesus never had a home, never had a place to rest his head. Maybe it was a sign that God would have nothing to do with the social status of mankind. A sign that he detests the splendor of humans it's not worthy of him but it was a sign for us that we should follow suit in fact the Apostle Paul later on would write we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus although he was the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but that he made himself nothing becoming a servant being made in human likeness a servant you see, being a servant is, is messy. And Jesus set this incredible example for us. I mean, he got down on his knees and he washed feet. The God of the universe, the God who deserved the best of everything, got on his knees. He's the God who came to the world and was laid in a manger, a feed trough of all places. Why such a messy place? Because he was following a messy plan. So needless to say, that very first Christmas was dirty. It was grimy, it was, it was filthy. <laughs> but thank God it was. Because without it, what a mess we'd be. As you can hear, I think this was a, a great reminder that God did not come to be worshipped uh, because of his trappings and surroundings. As a matter of fact, he came at the most humble place, but he also came to teach us that humility uh, is much more important than status, which is a great lesson for us to learn. There was a book that I referenced last week when I talked about John Maxwell, when wise men find, uh, they follow a star and they find a stable. 
And I wanted to share a little bit from what Bill Hybels had written and uh, what he had spoken on a a lesson and a teaching that he had in that very same book on this holy night, which is available on uh, Audible. Bill Hybels had a, a message entitled Seeing the Christmas Scenery. And he talked about the different parts of the nativity scene. And then he talked very clearly about something that he saw in the the rustic and the quaint things that we do when we try to replicate the stable. And I want to just read that. And some of this will be on the screen and some of it will go a little further and a little deeper. He says, the rough hewn hut that carpenters make in Christmas style is one that all of us know and it is just so quaint. But I can assure you that the stable that Jesus was born into was not quaint. It was just like a thousand other stables, crowded with smelly animals, dark, damp, and rodent infested. It was an all-around rotten place to birth a baby. And for any of you who have ever had a child, you know that even when it is pristine and clean and been surgically, uh, at that surgical level of cleanliness, you still worry about your baby being something, uh, you know, caught with some sort of germ or infected with something that's in the room. I can't even imagine God's son being born in a stable, but that's where it was. So it is a rotten place to give birth to a baby, but it has to prompt the thinking of a man and to ask the question, if God could commandeer a star that would serve as a travel guide to wise men, why couldn't he commandeer a suite at the Bethlehem Hilton or at least a private room at the local hospital? A star is a much bigger feat than the suite would be, but the answer is, is that he could have, but he made the deliberate choice not to. And for me personally, this speaks volumes to me because it reminds me that the one man who could control his genealogy and control the things surrounding his birth and the circumstances of his birth, the one person that could do that as he stepped into this world chose the lowliest and one of the worst things that he could possibly choose so that you and I could understand he came for the lowest of the low and he wanted to make sure that he connected with all of us. Here is the big idea that I want to share with you all today, that God invites all of mankind to be a part of the divine. God invites all of mankind to be a part of the divine. It's not your race, your religion, your color, or your creed that separates you from God. His invitation stands for us all. It's not about economic status. It's not about power in the present society that we have. It is instead an invitation to everyone, no matter who or where they are, to be a part of the divine that is going on in this world. And when he steps into your life and mine, he invites us to partner with him, not to sit on on the sidelines and watch what he's going to do. He wants us to roll up our sleeves and say, I'm going to be a part of this. Now stop for just a second before you think I'm overstating this. Stop for just a second and ask yourself, could Jesus have come into the world stepping out of eternity and saying, you know what? I'm here. I'm the son of God. And I, I glow with this holy glow because I literally just stepped out of heaven. Yes, he could have done that. He chose not to. He chose for a woman to say, be it unto me as you have said. I will partner with you. I will carry the Christ child in my womb 
Why? Because God didn't have another way? No, no. He had any way that he chose, but he chose one that looked just like yours and my entrance into this world with only that one holy exception that Mary was a virgin who gave birth to a holy child who was God's own son. And so why did he do that? And why in the world did he let him be born as a baby, a vulnerable baby? Why did he let him live his entire life, you know, following the advice of people that didn't even hold a candle to his intellect, his wisdom, or his truth, or his power? Why did he do all of those things? Because he intentionally wanted you and I to understand that he is here walking in your shoes and in mine so that we know that when we call on our high priest and say, Jesus, I know you understand exactly what I'm going through. You probably even understand the exact feelings that I have, whether it's feelings of anxiousness or feelings of depression or feelings of hurt and anger and frustration or feelings of just helplessness. Do you understand these, God? God himself might not, but his son who walked in flesh knows them intimately because he felt them all and overcame them all so that we might overcome them as well. And so for us, we need to understand how important this is. That he came, that yes, there was a feeling of fear, but in the ultimate, you know, washes out when it all comes down and then the end is said and done. He says, I have come that you could have joy, and this joy is not just for this chosen few over here, not just for the powerful and the mighty, it is for all people. For unto you and I is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that is our one to remember. I've talked with you guys all throughout this, uh, this lesson series about the idea of having one to remember, a, a thing that you could memorize and know and kind of be a part of memorizing a scripture that would be a blessing to you. It is right here from Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. All right, so let's keep moving very quickly. And this is so powerful. If you don't grasp what I'm saying, maybe you can grasp it now. I always pay extra special attention anytime there is a passage of scripture or a story that is listed in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because those are called the three synoptic gospels. Those synoptic gospels usually tell some of the same stories, but inevitably there's a piece left out or a part left out, or this one is in these two gospels. Gospels, but not in the third one. It's just seeing the same things from a different perspective. But in all three Gospels, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, breathes his last breath, the Bible tells us very clearly that the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And this is significant from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. God clears the way and says this thing which separates holy God from sinful man is now brought away. This is the holy of holies where God's presence is. And this is the court of those who would come to seek to worship God. But there was a curtain, a veil that was in between the two. And in the end of Christ's life, he gives up the ghost. He says, it is finished. And then the temple veil is torn from top to bottom so that there is now no more separation from the presence of God 
and sinful people out there who need desperately the Savior that just came and just died. So don't miss this. I don't want you to miss this. God gave the wise men a star to choose to follow, but he sent the shepherds an actual birth announcement. He went out of his way to identify with the lowest of the low, not the highest of the high. And this is important. Can I ask you a question? Why are we so desperate to be considered the highest of the high? When God already shown us that he wants to identify with the lowest, not necessarily just strictly uh, the highest. And here is a question that I have to ask. This is the big question that I want you to ask. Have you noticed that you're missing the joy of Christmas? And if so, what has been your focus? For so many of us, we've been focusing on all the wrong things. We've been focusing on all the wrong things that this world wants to give us about uh, Christmas, and yet it brings us no joy. How can you and I find joy in this Christmas season? Very quickly, let me just share a couple of things that I want to share from this passage of Scripture. Let's talk about how they find joy. You live the life of the meek. You want to find joy, live the life of the meek. It says, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And then that is where the angel of the Lord stood before them and makes this declaration. Very quickly, I don't know if you've ever really kind of gone back and thought about when the angels show up to interact with human beings. But you'd be shocked at how many times the angels show up when they're doing work. I'm going to say that again. They show up. These angels show up to deliver God's message when so many people are doing work. For example, and for instance, Abraham was taking a break from work about noon. He was trying to cool off because he'd been working in the early morning and it was about to be hot. And so he took a break and that's when the angels came and met him at his tent. Or Gideon, who was prepping wheat so he would have something to eat. He was hiding it from his enemies. He was hiding it down in a wine press, prepping wheat. He was doing work, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Or then Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, was working at the temple, and he was just doing his normal thing. He did that probably on a very, very regular and regimented schedule. He'd probably done it hundreds of times where he was in that place offering prayers and sacrifices for God. And then that's where the angel found him. Now, why does this matter? Very quickly, let me just share with you. For most of us, we think, well, I could never be that, you know, that person that God appears to in an angel form because, I mean, I don't have the time to do these things and I don't have the time to, to read the philosophies that I need to write. I don't know the scriptures as well as I should. And we can go on and on and say all of the reasons that it doesn't really work for us. But I'm here to tell you something and I want to be very, very clear the truth is, is that God keeps showing up, especially even in this situation. What were the shepherds doing? They were watching their flocks. They were doing their job. You and I can watch, you know, for God's movement if we choose to. But I promise you, when God wants to move in your life, he'll find you and he knows where you work. <laughs> it's good, right? He knows where you live. He knows where you work. You don't have to say, I've got to sit real still here in the sanctuary at EHC because God can speak to me right here, right? No, no. The great news that we find in the story of the shepherds is they're out there just living like normal, humble people. And God finds them and says, I want to show you something and I want to reveal it to you. And I want you to be a part of this incredible story. Now, 
If you don't understand, this applies to all of us. We don't have to, you know, go and join a monastery. (laughs) We don't have to do any of that stuff. He can find us wherever he wants. And all we have to do is just live our daily normal lives and God can still find us. And that's so important. Very quickly, let's talk about this. How else can you find joy? You can find joy when you choose to seek. When the angels had gone, the shepherds said to one another, let's go now to Bethlehem to see this thing which has come to pass that the Lord has made known to us. I want to be very clear, very clear to all of us. Here is what's happening right here in this. They are out in the field. They've had all this great, incredible noise that we talked about. And then the angels leave and they turn to one another. And if you recognize it or not, they have a decision to make right then and right there. Now what? One of them speaks up and says, let's get together and let's go see about what God has made known to us. And I'm just going to make a, a blanket statement here. I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling this was the most important and powerful thing that ever happened in their lives, ever. Would you guys agree with me? I mean, it's probably the most important thing that ever happened in their lives. This is probably the thing that they told their grandchildren about as soon as their grandkids understood. You need to know that your granddad was there when Jesus of Nazareth was born. It is so strange because it happened in a stable. Can you believe the king of kings in a stable? So here is the thing that has always struck me. For many of us, we are that close to joy, but we miss it so many times because we're the equivalent of the shepherds going, I know something amazing is probably going to happen over there, but I'm, I'm going to say the B word, busy. I'm too busy. I'm too caught up in my own stuff to go and experience the power of God being unleashed in my own life. I mean, can we just be honest? We've all done it, right? We've all been there. Oh, you know what? I probably ought to, but I, man, I got to do this and I got to do that. Or even we could say, you know, even if I'm not too busy, I'm too the T word, tired, <laughs> right? Or, or I, I'm too D word, distracted. I mean, all of these different words that come along and they sound like good reasons, but they really equal excuses. And we're this close to joy, but we never experience because we let ourselves come that close and then we miss it. Can I tell you something? Somebody even closer than the shepherds missed it. The innkeeper, he missed the joy. He was literally in the house that was next to the stable, as best we can tell. And he missed, as best we know, the birth of Christ because he had no room for it. Folks, for most of us, part of the reason that we don't experience joy like we used to when we were kids is not because the Christmas season has changed, it's because We've changed. It's because we've become jaded. It's because our hearts have grown hard. It's because we have stopped giving the power to the thing that it could change our lives. We have stopped to embrace those things. We've stopped embracing those things that actually bring us joy. 
And so here we see these people and individuals, and they're this close to joy, and what do they do? They decide they're going to seek it. They're going to seek it. They're not going to say, well, you know, that's cool. (laughs) That was awesome. What a cool light show that was, right? And then, "Ah, that's probably good enough. I don't need to go anymore. I mean, I've already seen something that nobody else has ever seen in my house. They've already experienced more than, you know, I've already experienced more than they have ever experienced. So I'm good. No, no. They said, let's go a little further and see what God has made known to us. Can I be incredibly presumptuous for just a moment? And can I tell you that if God has made you aware of something or someone in need, that maybe that is your opportunity to partner with God the way that Mary did, the way that the shepherds did. But it's going to take a decision. The truth of the matter is, is that rarely does God invade our schedules. He usually gives us an invitation to be a part of things. And most of the time, we're that close to joy, but we miss it because we're too busy. We're too tired. We're too distracted. You're that close to joy, especially in this Christmas season. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Now, I don't know if my dad's going to see this or not. My dad is worried to death about me in the midst of this uh, pandemic. Um, But one thing that I do not miss is I do not miss going down to see those kids in Mexico. So, Dad, if you are watching, I know you're wanting me to not go. But if everything is equal and everything is the way that it normally is going to be. I know I tried to bribe you and tell you that if you bought a certain number of things from the silent auction that actually I'd stay home. I lied. I lied. I'm, I'm a bad pastor and a horrible son. I get it. But I'm going to Mexico because I just can't miss the opportunity to be the hands and the feet of Christ on y'all's behalf. Those of you who can't get off and don't go, I get it. I understand. And I'm not in any way like trying to throw something on you, but I'm here to tell you. Long time ago, I, I realized that I give my girls stuff and they have already got stuff on top of stuff and they don't need more stuff, but I give them more stuff anyway. And it just really kind of gets old. But the one thing that always feels like Christmas and feels like Christmas is supposed to feel is when I get to go down there and I get to see the joy on these wonderful kids' faces and it's just something different. I can't, I can't even really fully describe it to you, but I can tell you that it is the highlight of my year. I could even go back and tell you on some things that, um, you know, I'm just so glad that I did that. I had one experience in another situation where I say, you know what, if I literally never did another thing on behalf of the Lord, if that is as good as it got, I'm good with that. I was that close to joy. Praise God, I didn't miss it. And I just would encourage you, this is not like a, hey, I'm patting me on the back. I don't feel that way, but I I will tell you a lesson that I learned. That a long time ago, I learned the lesson that if it's that close, Don't stop. Keep going and embrace it and enjoy it because there's so much of our world that just feels pretty much the same. And even something as special as Christmas can feel just like last year, felt like the year before, 
felt like the year before because we're doing and pursuing the wrong things and we're seeking the wrong things. I hope you guys understand where I'm coming from and, and if that sounds in any way uh, in any way, something that is not hitting you squarely, where the Lord is the, the center of that, please forgive me. I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to convey it, but I'm telling you, there's some things that we just don't want to miss. Very quickly, the nativity scene, we, we know all of the story. We know all of the different characters of the nativity scene. We know that the sheep and the shepherds are there because they sought the Lord. They took up and they said, you know what? We've seen something, but let's go see even more. Let's go see God's handiwork in the flesh and with our own eyes. Let's go to this next slide here. And I want to make sure that uh, we choose to speak the way that they did. After they had seen those things, they went out and they began to speak about those things which they had seen that God had made known to them. And there is something about joy There is something about joy that when you actually experience it, it's hard to shut your mouth. It's hard to keep it in. It's hard to keep from saying what is valuable and what is important and how it changed you and how it affected you and how you experienced joy. It is so powerful to see that these shepherds went their way. And two different times in this passage of scripture, it speaks about them telling people and the impact that it made, not just on them, but in their world because they were speaking up. So we got to choose to speak. And very quickly, there's more of the nativity scene than the one that you just saw a moment ago. Because you see, Mary and Joseph took the baby Jesus and they took him to the temple to be circumcised. And when they did on that eighth day and they gave the gift and they talked about going there and and presenting Christ uh, before God, as you saw that and grasped that, there is a man who stepped in, a man who's a part of the Christmas story, but he's never in the nativity scenes that you saw just a minute ago. His name was Simeon. And the Bible tells us that Simeon was a devout and just man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel, who was waiting for the Messiah to show up. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death before he had seen the Christ child. And Simeon took Jesus in his arms as they entered the temple. He took Jesus in his arms. Now, I don't think this was like a wrestling match or anything. I think this was an older gentleman who said, may I hold this baby? And as he held the baby in his arms, I can almost hear him quietly saying to God, Lord, now let me go in peace. I've seen what you promised that I would see. I've seen what you promised that I would see. Now, how do we know that joy in Simeon's heart? Because he opened his mouth, the joy overflowed from his heart, and he couldn't help but say, God, you made a promise to me that I would see the Messiah, and here he is. This is the pinnacle of my life. I'm seeing that God has not forgotten about the lowest of us. I'm seeing that God has not forgotten about his nation, Israel. I'm seeing that God is providing a light even to the Gentiles if they will believe. Anyone, all can be a part of the divine if they choose it. This is what is so beautiful about this story. And it's almost as if Simeon is saying, this is the pinnacle of my life. If I die right now, I've had enough and it's been good enough. 
I'm here to tell you that if you've never experienced God moving in your life, I'm here to tell you there is something that I can't even fully put into words, but it is one of the things that just makes your soul full of joy. And you say, God, you've used us to do part of your work in this world. And if that's all that it ever is, it's enough. It is enough. Now, I'm going to close very quickly as we kind of wrap up today's message. I want to talk to you about how you apply. You apply this message in a couple of ways. I think you take note of where God is at work in your story, both past and present. But then you do like the old song says, go tell it on the mountain, right? And since we haven't got mountains, use Facebook instead. Can I get an amen, right? Okay, so just go tell what God has done for you and in you and through you. Like, just go and tell that God has been faithful to bring you into a story that you had no part of, but he did. And you got to partner with him and let someone be blessed because of God's power, God's presence, and you were there. Man, what an incredible blessing to know that God did not leave us to our own devices, that he did not leave us out there and just say, you know what? Good luck to you. <laughs> it's probably not going to happen, but good luck to you. No, no, no. He said, no, you, 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 you come and you see it. You just live your life, but I will come to you and give you this opportunity. But then you seek that even further and go a little deeper and then you begin to speak that thing that God has done and you begin to tell the difference that he has made. It is an amazing thing. Now, I'm gonna close this message in just this way, all right? Now, for most of you, you have no idea who this guy is. I have literally got a Canadian in the house today and he does not know who this guy is. If you know who this guy is, Canadian, reveal yourself. All right, exactly. You don't, I get it. There's no shame here. It is actually interesting that I am getting further and further along the path of the idea that great men have beards. I, I, it's just like a theory that I started kind of coordinating around the same time I let my beard grow. It's, it, it's probably purely coincidental, I assure you, but it's a theory I've been working on and more more and more and more, I'm seeing that great, intelligent, amazing men have beards. That's right. Amen. Somebody with a beard here in the house just said, amen. It's the only amen he's ever given me. Thank you though. Beard brother, right? This is a man by the name of Reginald Fessenden, a Canadian, kind of the Canadian equivalent of Nikolai Tesla kind of the Canadian equivalent of Thomas Edison. You've probably never heard of him, but it's a very, very interesting story because if you've ever listened to the AM radio, you can thank Fessenden because the truth of the matter is is that according to thoughtco.com, in the late 1800s, you can see this here, and you can even look up the story if you choose. In the late 1800s, people communicated by radio through Morse code with radio operators decoding the communication into messages. But Fessenden put an end to all this laborious manner of radio communication in about 1906 when he transmitted the first voice message in history. Six years afterwards, he improved on that technique and on Christmas Eve, 1906, 
the ships off the Atlantic coast used their equipment to receive the broadcast for the first transatlantic voice and music transmission. Eventually, by the 20s, ships of all kinds relied on Fessenden's deep-sounding technology, is what he was calling it at that time, deep-sounding technology. Well, what ThoughtCo.com does not tell you is what he shared in that night on 1906, Christmas Eve. The silence was broken and a voice spoke. And the voice said, and there was in that same country shepherds abiding in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were sore afraid. But the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Isn't it interesting how God broke the silence, how Fessenden broke the silence and they use the same eternal message. And if you're going to break the silence and you know that it's going to be the first, you want something that is worthy of the occasion. And what did Fessenden choose? He chose the story of God breaking through the silence of mankind and saying, I am here and I am providing to all of you, even the commonest and most lowly among you, I am providing you a savior. Isn't that Incredible. What an amazing story. And then he picked up his violin and he played the song, Oh Holy Night, as his wife and his daughter sang along. <laughs> what an awesome thing to think about God breaking the silence and saying, This is my child. This is the baby boy that I bring into this world so that it might be different from this point forward. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, please. Help us to grasp and understand that in our world there's so many things that distract. But if we will seek you, there is amazing, amazing things going on. You're at work. The work of God continues, Lord, and you desire for us to partner, not because you can't do it without us, but because you choose to do it without us. It's not you didn't have a place that you could have had Christ be born in a palace, but instead you decided that you would meet us at our lowest point and at our lowest rung. You were still there to break the silence and say, I am here. Be blessed and be saved. Dear God, we thank you for the Savior that you sent into this world. May we, your children, Never fail to see that even in times where we are greatly afraid, we have the opportunity to make the choice for joy because of what you have done and what you have made happen here in our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.